Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome back to the Bucks Banter Podcast. I am your host, Colin Hallboom, joined as always by my two co-hosts, Bodan Yard and Scott Capron. This is our Josh, Josh Wells' episode, <laughs> the 72nd edition of the Bucks Banter podcast. So we brought on Josh Wells' biggest fan to come talk to everyone. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Scott. Um, but yeah. we brought on Cap Analyst for Pewter Report and good friend of the show, Guy, guy hasn't slept in, in a few days is my what I imagine based on how many appearances he's making and the uh, presence he has on social media because he has lots of valuable information stored in that that brain of his. And we're going to try and take advantage of that tonight here on the Bucks Banter podcast. But before we get into the, all that nitty gritty number stuff that makes me quiver, um, we're going to just kind of talk about this Dallas Cowboys uh, evisceration of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before our eyes. That happened on Monday night. Cowboys 31, Bucks 14. Um, the same offense that drove us up the wall all season long is the same offense that showed up for this game. And uh, Dak Prescott, you know, back-to-back three and outs to start the game. That was encouraging, oh. wasn't it? We were excited. But then the offense got the ball back, and you're like, eh. Anyway, Dak ended up absolutely working the Bucks defense, and Kellen Moore owned bowls, and I mean, it felt to me like the Bucks. A big. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but I think the Bucks had a ton of trouble generating any form of pressure. I think that was the most obvious, glaring issue for me. Um, and then Dak was able to find receivers all over the field with very little resistance from the DBs. It felt like the worst game for that group all year, even though there wasn't much of a pass rush. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of open it up here if anyone wants to jump in on what what they felt was going on there. I mean, it's wasn't an anomaly for this team. I mean, it wasn't shocking to any of us, I'm sure. Just unfortunate. No, it was just it was just more of the same. And it was too bad because, like you call, you mentioned the three and outs uh, to start the game. You couldn't have asked for a better start. I think the first one took, I don't know, 35 seconds off the clock or something like that. So you essentially are starting, the ha- or starting both halves with the ball, right, in that situation with that quick three and out at the start and then to get it again to start the second half. So I, I don't know. I'm such an asshole for taking them in this game. Like, I just immediately felt like such an idiot. Um, props to Dak. He played well. I, I just think as a general takeaway, I mean, it's more the same from the offense. It was pathetic, uh, just really gross. Brady didn't look good. The, the pick in the end zone after a promising drive was obviously an absolute backbreaker. Dallas marched, marches down the field and scores to go up 12, not 13 or 14 because of the extra point debacle. But that's another uh, another topic. And just just no, no energy, little fight. I, I feel like the defense was just – I don't know how they're going to keep on playing knowing that the offense isn't going to score. And they held up enough in the first half kind of thing. And then it was just over. It was over as soon as the second half, you know, Tampa goes three now and gives the ball back. I, I don't know. Pick, pick, pick what you want to talk about. They just look like shit. <laughs> like they're not good. They weren't good. They weren't good all year. And to expect the coaching to come up with something um, innovative at, at all, uh, to expect this team to just gel and look like some sort of Super Bowl contender is just is so naive by anyone who picked them. Basically, I'm just looking in a mirror and talking to myself right now because that's not how this works. You don't you can't just flip it on in this league. You have four 
four and a half months to get it settled, and they never did. And to expect to do it against who I thought was a flawed Dallas team, but a very a solid team at the very least, right? Not going to happen, even at home, even with Tom Brady. So, I yeah. Yeah, and I think just the prevailing notion of all the things that happened on that, like once the whistle was blown, was like they were sucking you in the whole time. It was all we heard was like Tom Brad Tom Brady's never lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Seven and uh Ryan Jensen's back, O line solved. Like yeah. it was just I don't know, everything that came up. Right before this, the whistle was blown. Was like, yes, bucks, bucks by him. And I feel like I saw anyone that was making a pick was saying bucks, and I was just what? like, this is weird. This is yeah, really weird. Know. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just, it was more of the same. I feel like it was the same stuff over and over again. You can't, you can't run block on any down. Um, <laughs> but we're gonna do it on the first one to just to make sure on every drive. Yeah. Um, and then the the throws like. Obviously not Tom Brady's best game, but like the routes weren't like it was like they weren't on the same page. Like they didn't yeah. have a week of practice. Like it was insane. Uh the preparation that went on went into the offensive side. Uh were, Tom Brady and the receivers included, right? So there were a couple from Evans in, in the first half there. Yeah. Oh uh maybe they were third downs or kind of drive killers. I'm sure it was third and long. I mean, what else could it have been? Um and they just nowhere near. No, you know, Brady thinks he's going to stop, bust it back outside. No, yeah. uh, you know, Evans, you know, keeps taking it up the field sort of thing. And just they need that connection to be spot on for their offense to to kind of go, right? That Dude, explosion, I feel like. And it, it felt like, like there was like three – game. It felt like there was three separate times where Aikman's like, where is he going? Yeah. Like, and I was just like, yeah, I, I honestly – like I don't know how you are disconnected to that level. Which um, I did th- actually, I noted that as well, Bo. Because Josh, I, I'm sure you probably picked up on this as well from the broadcast. But Aikman was really, he was saying, usually the announcer just says, "Oh, both of them aren't on the same page." But he was yeah. clearly kind of incriminating the receivers. I thought, which I know he's a quarterback, but I don't think he he blatantly does that kind of thing usually. Yeah, I think there was one uh, one play that stands out in my mind where Evans ran. I think it was something like a curl and he turns back into the inside, almost like it's going to be a dig route kind of falls down and Brady starts to throw it to that side. And all of a sudden Evans for no reason at all cuts back outside. Yeah. So Brady throws it over the middle. It looks like where was he throwing that ball to? But when you go back and you look at it, that was clearly like just Evans was running the wrong route. And like, it it almost looked like he knew what he was going to run and then just forgot what he was doing. Yeah. Um, Or just, Added his own little spin on it, a little beep bop a bop at the end. Like we, we don't need that shit. This is the first game where I like of all the games where I actually noticed like what like I where I'm questioning the effort of certain players, which is yeah. really despicable. I can think of three separate guys. Uh, Carlton Davis on a play didn't even attempt to chase it down. He actually ended up making the tackle, but he was just jogging. I tweeted about it. He tackled Dalton Schultz yeah. at like the five or something. Oh, yeah. That big yeah, game. I know exactly what you're talking about. Devin White, there were numerous occasions where yeah. I saw him choose not to chase a guy down with a completion just over his head in the middle of the field, which was, you know, happening all day. I tweeted can, can we talk about Devin White really quickly before you get to the third guy? <laughs> um, I think that he might be the best 
unblocked linebacker in the NFL. If there is someone in front of him that gets their hands on him, he is used. That's not happening. Like yeah. nothing is he's, happening on that play. He's for him. never been able to stack and shed. No, he cannot shed a block. It is, it is embarrassing, actually. And I, I went back and I was just like, let me just, let me just see what the YouTube highlights say about Devin I'll, White. And literally, all of them. There's are a video. I did. Open gaps or him squeezing through gaps and just nailing the quarterback and just using his speed. And he is a fast guy. That's why I'm. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I actually think it's perfect in Bulls' system, especially where he can manufacture this pressure and and find his but, way into gaps and, and just confuse an offensive line and get Devin White to a place that he needs to be. But, wow, when when any any offensive lineman gets in front of him, even tight ends, it's it's not a chance. They're, they're not – he's not making a play. It, yeah, it's a tough sport to be rendered completely ineffective when you get touched. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of, that's a bit of a problem I would say. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I think a, a couple things for me, like Dallas had a great game plan on offense mm. while the Bucks defense has been solid this year. There has been one thing that has plagued their scheme all year long and Dallas exploited it which is they have trouble with seam carry um, in their cover three coverages when the um, slot receiver or the attached tight end runs yeah. like a vertical. Right. Yeah. And I think the old, uh, the old think Gronk route. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I think uh, Dan Orlovsky kind of highlighted it. Um, there's one play in particular where they, they got uh, Dalton Schultz for a touchdown um, where he ran what a stick and nod. So um, basically oh, perfect he, route. Perfect route for yeah. the coverage as well, too. Yeah, he just – it's like a little – he fakes a five-yard out and then basically angles back into the the uh, center of the field on a vertical, and he got right around Mike Edwards. And Mike Edwards on a hook curl just – and and it, I'm not – I don't think Edwards did anything wrong for what he's been asked to do because you see it on the tape all year long. All they do is they drop to about eight to ten yards and then they stop carrying the route. The problem is there that Dallas put leverage on Antoine Win, I think it was Winfield, who is the the deep safety, with three other vertical routes. So he had to pick one of those. You got to choose. It, he has yeah. to choose. And and it left Schultz open for the touchdown. Um, you know, on offense, I. So Bo, I, I'll say, come to me next time because I, I, I picked against the Bucks, <laughs> right, and. I said Luke Gedeke revenge game, and Gedeke was one of the best performing offensive linemen mm. oh, for the wow. night. Had like a 76 or 77 pass block grade from PFF. Meanwhile, Ryan Jensen was the lowest graded Buccaneer on offense. Well, I know it was such an amazing story, and kudos yeah. to him for an, an amazing recovery. He was not ready for that game. What did you think about that? What did you think about that, uh, Josh? Like, about Jensen because we were texting about that during the day, Bo, Colin, and I. Like, um, we hey, awesome that he's back. Is this really the spot? Is this really the time to go? I don't know. I, I don't know if like I feel like he didn't play great, so that is it's a bit of a process over results hindsight situation. Right. But I don't know, man. That's a huge, huge time to just go play your first game. Yeah, I, I you know, I don't fault the Bucks for putting him back out there because there's yeah. something to be said for um, for the the morale boost that it brings and maybe galvanizing the team. And you know, if the guy says he's good to go, he's your 
12 million, 13 million dollar a year yeah. center. And and him and, and Brady are absolutely tight. By the way, hi Stank. Um <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, no, you got you gotta give Stank Bastard a shout out. One oh, of the yeah. funny funniest Bucks fans. Great uh produces some he's great right, content. All he's over right in this instance, by the way. Well, I was going to say he had a very bad game. Stank won't like what I have to say, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of Brady hate coming through here because uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, though. We're going to leave the audience waiting on the Brady talk. Um, If I could finish my third person who I thought wasn't putting forth. I apologize. No, no, that's on both. I'm not sorry. I I, I jumped in there knowing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, And it's no it's no shock. The third player on the Bucks. And again, I'm not. I I've not called out the effort level of players on this team. No, maybe, maybe ever. But this game of all games, and my God, like I I will I've called out Donovan Smith's talent and execution all year oh long. Oh my God! But his effort level to me was just, and and I I get it. I get he's trying to block Micah Parsons half the time, and and he's got a lot to deal with. But that's not an excuse for being lazy as shit. And yeah. there are so many clips in this game where he just gives up as soon as he's beaten. And meanwhile, Tom Brady has actually maneuvered himself in the pocket where he's still trying to buy himself time. Not, not a lot granted it's Tom Brady, but enough where he could have chipped another guy coming like, like, and he had just given up on the play. And that just disgusted me. Um, And not like, I I don't think many bucks fans are going to be crying from the rooftops for Donovan Smith to stick around this year. And Josh, I I can't wait to get your take on that and how that could look uh, cutting Donovan Smith at this point. In fact, why don't, you want to chime in on that at this just while we're talking about them? They'd save $10 million, about $9.95 million. Boom. So um, he's, he's 17 and a quarter, I want to say, is his cap hit. But um, just over $7 million of that is uh, guaranteed through prorations and whatnot. So, yeah, they can clear $10 million by um, by cutting him. But you cut him, you got to find another left tackle. You and they don't. They don't grow on trees. Now, there is a very intriguing person who's set to be a free agent who uh, I think I wrote about or mentioned him in, in my last article, um, who I'd be in favor of them going out and getting because I think they'd still net savings um, by cutting Smith. And that's Andre Dillard from the Eagles. Mm. So Dillard's a former first-round pick. He's set to be a free agent this offseason. Lost his job to Jordan Mailata. Mailata um, just developed into a beast coming out of Australia. Um, and wasn't it New Zealand? Uh, I thought it was Australia. I could be wrong. It might be New Zealand. You're probably right. I just, for some reason thought that, sorry. Um, and Dillard in limited play over the last couple of years has actually graded out pretty well. Um, especially as a pass blocker. Uh, so he doesn't have the track record to get a big contract. So you give him a one year, prove it deal, five, $6 million, something like that. And with the 10 million in savings, from cutting Smith, you actually save about a million dollars and there's your left tackle. So um, that, that would be kind of, you've got, you're going to have to take, if you're the bucks, you're going to have to take some calculated risks. They did it last off season, betting on a bunch of veterans who, you know, had a history of really good play, but also a history of injuries. Mm-hmm. That calculated risk didn't work out for him because all those guys continue to be injured. Akeem Hicks, mm-hmm. um, Julio Jones kind of highlight that. This would be a calculated risk if I'm roster building that I'm willing to take. Younger guy, doesn't have an injury history, does have a very limited, I will admit that, very limited um, track record of, of decent to above average play, but you can get him on a cheaper deal, and then you can try and invest some of that savings um, as well as draft capital to other needs because the Bucks have other needs. Mm. 
How much? How much of a delusional psycho do you have to be to cut off your guest to try to correct him and do so incorrectly on where Jordan <laughs> Mahalata is from? I, honest to God, I'm I, just gonna blow I, past it. I can't believe you just did that. Like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm just kind of. But regardless, hey, fair enough. He's not a Kiwi. Well, at least I call myself out. No, for not. sure. And I was and, gonna. I was just to add on. I'm not a cap guy at all, despite my last name. Um, Josh is saying that about the million dollars. I'm thinking that should cover how many jalapeno poppers Colin eats if he's credentialed for a game again next year. <laughs> right? So we have that. We have a lot of things going for us in 2023. I'm just throwing that out. Pretty cool deal, wasn't it, Colin? Yeah. 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 Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing experience. Loved it. And I can't wait to do it next year. I don't like jalapeno poppers, though, Scott. <laughs> well, I took a stab at an appetizer. I have, I wasn't in the box, all right, pal? I, I, I'm just sitting out with the peasants. And it's not a question. He'll be back. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I mean, there were even rumors swirling that the Cowboys had a beat on the Bucks' hand signals. And I have no idea if there's any truth to that because it doesn't matter if there is. If they did, good on them. Yeah. But that sort of claim sure matched the eye test in this one, didn't it? And Josh, I came off the top talking about the lack of pressure. That that was a huge factor to me. And yes. I mean, it's not surprising based on the personnel. They don't have like a stud there. The loss of Shaq Barrett was as glaring in this one to me as I could imagine. Felt like Bulls kept trying to send Devin White in there. I think they blitzed Devin White even more than they normally do in this game, him in particular. Um, like, did you find that to be a huge issue from, from your perspective? Or, or was it something else that was... Like, how, how was this defense exposed? Like, we all know the offense being exposed isn't a surprise. It just felt like more people were watching, so we got to realize what we've been dealing with all year. But on the defensive side, I'm curious of your observations in this particular matchup. So they got pressure on about 27% of Dak's dropbacks. Uh, it was about 10 out of 37. Um, they only blitzed, I want to say, nine times. I can look that up real quick. Um, that's... Uh, where does 20 where was where would 27 percent fall josh how they're usually in the low 30s so okay you're so, talking uh, a difference of one to two pressures over okay. the course of the game okay um yeah so they blitzed uh they blitzed about 18 times um no i'm sorry that's wrong they blitzed only nine times um okay. a lot of what you saw colin was probably simulated pressure where Devin white was coming in but somebody was dropping out a exactly, lot of times yeah. jts right so it's still only four pass rushers. It's just coming from a different look. What I saw live was it wasn't so much that they couldn't get pressure. It's that they couldn't contain, mm. right? Mm. So Dak, who has some mobility to him, pressure gets in, an offensive lineman gets beat. Somebody actually gets into the pocket. Dak's easily able to maneuver out of it, right? And, and create out of, out of uh, structure. Um, they didn't do a good job of containing him on those. And that's one of the issues with simulated pressure because a lot of times you're dropping somebody over here. Now you're bringing an overload from one side. If they, they don't get home, the quarterback can easily move to where the vacated pass rusher was supposed to come from because now you've got less, less uh, pass rushers from that side. So Dak was able to easily navigate that. I put a lot of this on the, the soft zone coverages they played all night. I commented during the game, like I could not believe some of the depth that the corners were playing at pre-snap. You're talking isn't that like kind of isn't that kind of the Todd Bowles special though? Not necessarily. And, no? and go back, yeah. So and, Mike Smith reminded me of Mike Smith. Um, not that far back, though. Like, like yes, no. the, it is a he does play a ton of zone, 
but usually the guys are like five, six yards off the line. Okay. They were playing 10 back. Yeah. Um, and then one of their most successful games, you go back to the Bengals game, Carlton Davis was pressing yeah, Jamar yeah. Chase like crazy. Yeah. And I don't for the life of me, because um, Jamel Dean, even SMB, like those guys, they're at their best when they're pressing. And yeah. he, he refuses to play them that way, um, except for like one game plan every year. And it's usually one of the most successful ones they have. So I put a lot of this on, on you know, when Dak was like, I don't know, 11 of 11. Yeah, it, it's because he was finding dudes wide open in between yeah. those, those zones and they couldn't carry the seam. And it was just bad on the back end. I think the pass rush was what it's been all year. Not elite, decent enough. Yeah, I, and I would just rather die going down – with, with more of a press coverage, like like making them have to make plays, getting them uncomfortable on the line, make, like get physical with CD Lamb. Is we were praising CD Lamb, you know, all year and definitely on the preview pod. But he's a you know he's a pretty slight guy, right? Like see what you can do. I just Dak is good enough and he's just mobile enough, just athletic enough to to create that extra extra couple seconds that Josh was talking about. Um, to step up in the pocket or to run for a first down if he has to. And he can certainly find guys when, when their receivers are having, having 10 yards of, of space before anyone's even, anyone's even near him. Right. I just, I don't know. I think I'd rather make them beat me and make Dak complete tougher throws. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be some defensive whiz or anything. I really, I'm, super not but just as a general kind of ethos i just don't like that i think it just makes it too easy on them on the offense one of the most perplexing things i've ever seen one of the most perplexing coaching decisions i've ever seen and josh maybe you can weigh in on this but i can't for the life of me understand the decision to wait until the 18th game of the season the first postseason game to choose to bench Jamel Dean in favor of Sean Murphy bunting. And I know there was some chatter that he was maybe a little bit sick or something under the weather, but like, do you have any insight on this personally or, or through your connections through P- Peter Port? Like what the fuck happened? Um, so nothing, nothing like concrete. I think what we've kind of put together is he was under the weather. There has been a bug going around the team. It's part of the reason why Mike Evans missed the last week of the regular season. He was well enough to at least play some special teams. Um, and then I think Bowles cited post-game that between that and the fact that Sean Murphy Bunton had been playing well to end the season, which he had, that he decided to go with the hot hand. For me, I find that to be egregious because you're talking about recency bias and small sample sizes dictating a giant decision. Um, and, it, you know, it, I'm, not, I'm probably blowing this out of proportion when I say this, but, you know, Jamel Dean had a, um, I think it was a, like Instagram post where he, he talked about, you know, like if others don't know your worth, you do. And I'm just worried that that decision may have just blown the Bucks' chances of potentially resigning the kid, mm. um, which, which would be terrible because he's had a fantastic season. I think you guys are all big fans. I know yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, and I think him and Davis – paired together gives you a lot of opportunity to do some fun stuff with the rest of your defense. Now, um, Sean Murphy bunting played decent, played okay. I still think Jamel Dean would have played better. And I almost 
wonder, you know, if you put Sean Murphy bunting in the slot, let Antoine Winfield play more up top, had Jamel Dean on the outside, what could have been. So, so if, he, if he's at all pissed, Jamel Dean, enough to like, like then obviously he was well enough to play. Right. You know, yeah. it, it, so it's like one or the other to me. And yes, yeah. my mind went there immediately as well, because clearly once that game got going, you know, four minutes in, you it felt like the Bucks didn't have much of a shot. Well, let's call it a quarter. We yeah. felt like they didn't have much of a shot. But that is immediately what I'm thinking, because I'm like, man, if they can bring back Jamel Dean, um, then then you have two phenomenal corners. Like that's a great foundation for your secondary. And then you got Antoine Winfield already. Like then I'm feeling really secure about the foundation of that position moving forward. Um, it's just unbelievable timing. Like somehow it's worse than the fact that it was a must win game, but it's also his, his could be his last game in Tampa. Yep. So yeah. like, it just makes zero sense. Bulls would counter. It could have been Sean Murphy Bunting's last game in, in Tampa. Oh God! But it's just—they're <laughs> both free agents. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware. God. It's just a—it's just uh, another wild decision, right? Oh, yeah. With with yeah, a, that the fourth and three punts. Oh, thank God! No, oh, there's, there's a litany of them throughout the season. Hey, they need to kick. They need to be able to kick longer field goals, guys. I don't know if you saw that today. They do. But, they uh, do need to. I, that, I agree with him on yeah. that. It, to be fair, I only saw that. I didn't read the rest of it. He might have just been saying we need a field goal kicker to have more range, which is fair. But you also I, know that, you know, any drive that results in a 55-yard field goal attempt, Bowles is feeling pretty good about too. So it's hard to let him completely off the hook. So anyway. I think the subtext is that they need to move on from from uh, suck up. And, and I agree with him. I was saying okay, it last off I, I was saying it last offseason. They should have done it last offseason. Mm but it takes him a year to figure it out. Yeah. The light leg hurts. Like you got to maintain such an accurate level of kicking in order to make up for not having it. And if you have an aggressive uh, mindset on offense and you're going for it all the time, then it's not as big of a deal, but bulls mm -hmm. love to settle for field exactly. goals anyway. So of course he wants a longer field goal kicker. My worry is if they get a longer field goal kicker, I won't get to see as much of my boy, Jake Camarda. Oh, we'll be seeing plenty of Camarda for many years, your boy. Uh, <laughs> folk hero, most hated man in Carolina. Yeah. Uh, that's what he is, man. Yeah. It wasn't until that play I was like, okay, I guess it actually makes sense to draft an athlete at the punter position. Like, because that was the big thing on Camarda, right? Well, he's an athlete. He's actually kind of a football player. 4.56 40-yard um, dash, I think it was. Geez. Well, it showed up on that, on that miraculous play. That was phenomenal. Speaking of, like, plays in oh isolation – um, you talked about the Bucks blow and contain, and immediately the, I, I think it was it KJ Britt's. I think Greg Almond tweeted out, was it KJ Britt's first defensive possession of the entire season, where he blew contain on the on the Dak Prescott fourth uh, bootleg touchdown, fourth down. Mm. Remember that, Josh? I do remember the play. Um, I don't necessarily argue with Britt being out there if they were going with a heavy package. Um, he was replacing a safety. Yeah. yeah. So th the idea yeah. was to get bigger, to get tougher, to be able to plug the gaps and, and potentially stop. Dallas had a great, great play call there and they took advantage of his youth and, um, and the fact that he hadn't been out there, but I don't necessarily disagree with him being in on that personnel package. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's, that's a good, good description, I guess. They're doing their like jumbo set he, there. But what he, he wasn't replacing Devin White or Levante David. They didn't pull no. one of the other yeah. linebackers. 
they were just going with the personnel package to match what they were up, you know, what Dallas was coming with their heavy package. So right. great, like Josh, great play call by Dallas. And also, you know, I don't want to praise them for going for it because it's obvious they should have, but you know, Aikman in the booth tell, saying I'd take the three, obviously insane. But, uh, and I think McCarthy in the past might've done that. And at that point, by the way, uh, Maher had only missed one extra point. So it wasn't as <laughs> much of a debacle then. Right. So for them to actually go for it, take, like I said, what was then a 12, nothing lead, you know, hats off to them in that case. I mean, they, Dallas out coached and out coached the Bucks. It's across the board. Across the board. All Everything. twelve phases. Damn it. Yep. Yeah. Pretty impressive from Kellen Moore. I thought, I thought they just dictated the game and I mean, there's everything's incongruence, right? There's, there's a reason for the A equals, you know, A plus B equals C or whatever, but, they couldn't get they couldn't get to Dak. They couldn't get to Dak. So even in the plays where you know people might have been covered, he still had an extra second to go and, and find someone or scramble or whatever he needed to do. And I don't know. It was just a killer. Speaking of uh coverage, uh, Arjun Manan, um who Is he, he from New out. Zealand? From New Zealand. No, he is not from New Zealand. <laughs> he I think he was an in, he was an intern at PFF. He put out um a tweet about the Bucks were like the Cowboys had like sixty percent of the Bucks plays um, perfectly covered. Perfectly covered. Sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. Saw I'm trying to find the the tweet exactly because I want to make sure I got it right and attribute it correctly to him. And he's a fantastic follow if you're into analytics at all. Um, let's see if I can find it. Of course, now I can't. Here it is. Yeah. So and it's funny because it's the Bucks and the the Chargers. Uh, so yeah, the Bucks, the the Cowboys had sixty percent of the Bucks plays perfectly covered. The next closest was Jacksonville had fifty eight point one four percent of the Chargers plays. This is just from Wild Card Weekend. This, this weekend. Then the next highest was Miami had Buffalo at thirty five point four percent. Even that sounds good to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a 25% drop off. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it goes from there. Like the other 10 teams in the, in the wild card round, it ranged from 21 to 35% of their, their plays were perfectly covered. And then you have the Chargers in Tampa Bay at, you know, 58 plus. 58 and 60, 25% yeah. higher, like you said. I mean, what a, what an indictment on the offense. Like, what a, what a, here you go. This is all you need to see, basically, right? Look what the Chargers did. Lombardi, yeah. he got he got canned, right? Yeah, so that was, that was deserved. Um, yeah. He also Arjun put in there in the tweet because he's so good at context. For context, the league average for the year is thirty four percent. So the Bucks almost doubled it. Yeah, that's wild. wild. Scott, you're right. What an indictment on the coaching. And I want to I want to use that as a little springboard to our next topic here. Um, but first, I have to. I have to ask anyone who's watching, checking us out, visiting for the first time, please make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Helps us out a lot. And, uh, yeah, all of our Twitter handles are up on the screen as well, so feel free to give us a little clicky-poo there too, baby. Um, anyway, indictment on the coaching staff. Josh Capo and his colleagues over at Pewter Report are reporting, if I'm not mistaken, that Leftwich is done. And you guys are the only outlet who is, like, straight up calling it almost like fact. So – so I really want to hear what you got on this. I know Scott's been plugged in, Scott Reynolds, 
um, for so so many years. And for him to be confident enough to say it um, certainly leads me to believe it's more than likely true. And he's got a beat on that. So I'm wondering, like, is that what's going on here, Josh? Or are you in a position to offer any further insight? Because why hasn't it happened yet then? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Scott has reported that he he expects it to happen. And we, we at Peter Report do expect that to happen. As far as why is it ha- ha- why it hasn't happened yet, um, typically the last couple days after the end of the season, you have exit interviews with the uh, the players and their coaches are giving them feedback and saying these are things you can work on in the off season. Um, and so there's a good chance that you know Bowles wanted Leftwich to be able to have those meetings, give that feedback to the players before this happens. But it is our expectation through Scott Reynolds's reporting and, and just the sources he has that, yeah, um, left, which will be let go um, in the near future. Okay. okay. A couple of things there. If I had to break a story first, just from the reporting standpoint, I think I'd have a full blown panic attack. Like seriously, <laughs> you have to, you have to be right. You better be right. Or else like you're, we're the your credibility hey, on the line. Yeah. yeah. Can someone else report it? Maybe can someone else chime in as well? Like, holy shit, that would be anxiety provoking. Oh my God. And secondly, of course, we don't know if this is for sure what's happening, but of course Bowles would want him to do the X interviews as if that fucking matters. And then, (laughs) and then before they're going to fire him, like what, what? Well, I think there is something to that, right? I mean, Leftwich has worked with these players all year long. You know, who else is going to do it? Right. Not certainly not the new offensive coordinator, because you can go through an entire hiring cycle. You don't have some guy just waiting in the wings. Even if you did have somebody waiting in the wings, it's not like he's already watched all 16 games worth of I'm sorry, 17, 18 games worth of tape for every single player. Like that is valuable information to give a player going into the offseason. So you want to make sure that that happens. It's part of the process of of the end of the season. You want to have that continuity. So I, they're, I they're not going to lose out on an offensive coordinator candidate because they waited two, th- three, four days to let go of Leftwich. That's fair. But all I would say, though, Josh, is as someone in HR for a living, I'm, I've seen some pretty apathetic performance reviews and um, interviews about, uh, about said topic. So if the person conducting the interview is has one foot out the door and thinks they're getting fired, I can only imagine the productivity that's actually coming from it. So I do understand there's probably some professional courtesy to doing that. And I'm sure left, which is, a, is professional enough to, you know, to give earnest and honest feedback and, and, you know, put it into it. But I don't know. I don't know if, if the value is there, but I don't, you know, I, I can see both sides. I think reasonable minds could, to, could disagree on that one, but I mean, just look at the Chargers, right? They they did it. Yeah, but it wasn't the day after, right? So their their season ended on Saturday. Oh, that's true. That is and Lombardi two, was let go. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think. Was he let go earlier today or was it yesterday? I can't remember. It was either really early today. Or it was late yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's okay. call it today. You know so fair enough. By that enough. by that time frame, if you're going to use them as the benchmark. He's got till Friday. All right. I'm pulling the plug on the HR semantics here. And (laughs) one thing I got to say, though, so we were talking about onboarding soon. So, so of course, 
it's important. Like we're talking about Pewter Report and like, you know, the credibility and coming out to be the first to report the Leftwich thing. Um, and I've, I've respected and consumed the, your guys' work over at Pewter Report for as long as I've been a Bucks fan, which is as long as they've been around, it feels like, and uh, or I've been around anyway. Um, but, man, that was cool to see Scott on the Pat McAfee show. And I thought he, of he course, he handled it. himself so well, but he was awesome, man. He was very suave. And uh, yeah. That was cool, man. So shout out, shout out to Scott Reynolds for that. Um, yeah, that's cool. That open transition was elite, right? Yeah. Scott, how are you? I'm doing a lot better than the Bucks, and here's yeah. why. Boom! Just went <laughs> right into it. Right. It was great. It was great. Really interested. Like I, I hope to God that report is correct. You yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> I really do because let's for like, literally everyone involved. Yeah, it's just, you know, I can accept, I guess, like it sounds like like Bulls will have another go of things. I've kind of like come to, to, to grips with that, I guess. Not saying he's earned it, but that's probably what's going to happen. But if if I don't know how you could justify to this fan base bringing back Byron Lefwich, um, and I understand maybe there's some loyalty there from Bulls, but the stubbornness certainly is a, is a trait that both of those coaches – exhibit and that that kind of concerns me depending how much like is this bulls's call or is jason like gonna be like sorry todd you got yeah, i think it is bulls's call um and i would say yeah i i hear what you're saying in terms of loyalty but you know bulls didn't hire left which they work on different sides of the ball from yeah. everything i could tell for this season it was kind of i'll handle the defense you handle the offense I don't know if there is as much look like if this were Bruce Arians, whole different ball game. Right. Right. But I don't think there's as much loyalty between bulls and um, left, which as there, you know, necessarily like Arians and left, which I'd yeah. be, I'd be scared. Bulls would just, and then immediately be like, all right, we're bringing in Greg Roman or like, just like, we're going to have just a run first <laughs> run second run third offense. Cause that's what he wants. He wants to win games with defense. But anyway, well, I with hope- Greg Roman, he only does that because that's the personnel he has. Mm. I guarantee you if Greg Roman had, you know, the Bucks offense, his offense would look a hell of a lot different. Wait, you're saying the Bucks aren't signing Lamar Jackson or they're not that's not gonna happen? <laughs> I do not believe that's going to happen. No, I don't. I think it's a trade. They said that they're gonna trade for him. And again, in terms of my predictive abilities, only guy out here, yeah, I was the only guy at Pewter Report who predicted the Bucks to lose that game. And I will once again go back to my elite take, Luke Gedeke, revenge game. Nobody else was on Gedeke for this. So just believe me on everything. I mean, (laughs) PFF PFF grades aside, I mean, I'm not going to give a damn about what Ryan Jensen's numbers say in that game. And unfortunately, I don't exactly think Gedeke saved the day either. So, But I'm glad that he, like, performed admirably with how much discussion was going on about him occupying that spot. Um, I think I think I had a tweet like early in the game. I was like, everybody was up in arms about get a key. <laughs> Nobody was talking about how Donovan Smith was about to get beat like a drum again. He he had these two what two good years. He had two good years. Like he was what you think that is that a stretch? I, yeah, I think he so I think you look at like 2019, 2018, that time period, basically 20 uh, from when he came into the league. I think he got hit with a lot more blame than he should have due to Jameis's propensity to hold on to the ball. Mm. All right. So you, you pull out the Jameis factor and I think that you would have had a much different um, opinion of Donovan Smith over those years. 
I think Brady comes in and it takes the seesaw all the way to the other end <laughs> where Donovan Smith got probably more credit than he should have over 2021, 2022. I think the truth lies somewhere in between, which is he's been a solidly average left tackle for most of his career. Okay. Not elite, not terrible. Yeah. Unfortunately for most people who consider them fans, there is no in-between. It's yeah. one or the other, right? But yeah, Donovan right. Smith, for the majority of his career, has been a solidly right in the, you know, average somewhere between 20 and 10, depending on the season, left tackle, which is somebody you pay and somebody you're very thankful to have mm -hmm. um, overall. I think he had his worst year of his career this year. I think there were physical issues from the, the elbow injury that he – week one. Week one, he got that, that el elbow injury. I think uh, he had himself admitted he was going through a lot of personal problems this year. All of it was just a perfect storm that led to him having an extremely poor season. Extremely. And there's, there's a good chance next year he performs a lot better than this year, yeah. whether that's with the Bucks or somebody else. I don't know if the Bucks can bet on that, and I don't know if they can spend $17 million to bet on that, and those are their options. I can't recall how many games Donovan Smith missed this year. Like, it must have been, what? Two. Just yes. two? Yeah. Oh, I was going to guess two. Uh, well, two early in the season and then one or two late in the season. Right. And, still, and he still was responsible for the most penalty yards on, of any. Yeah, about 100, I think. Any on the player year. in football. And the uh, other thing that the other issue there is like three of those plays wiped touchdowns off the board. One of them, yeah. they got back. Two of them, they ended up kicking field goals on. And of course, that stuff sticks out in people's minds. Just like Anthony Nelson yeah. getting five sacks on 11 pressures, right? Everybody remembers the five sacks. They forget the fact that, you know, on like over 300 pass rushing snaps, he only got 11 pressures, but <laughs> he's better than Joe Tryon. Shwink, oh, get the yeah. hell out of here. Well, yeah. well, I mean, Robert, Robert Ori's three point percentage uh, wasn't as good as Steve Kerr's, but I think a lot, a lot of teams would have rather have Robert Ori uh, in the postseason. Yeah. Hit him when it counts gibberish to me oh, all right <laughs> i know steve kerr i know Sorry. steve kerr all right i remember bulls three-point shooter that's about go. all i remember we talked we talked about that offline so you even you even let us know that basketball wasn't your jam um yep. okay so let's just talk about tom brady for a minute as we yeah. shift sort of into more of like a projecting or forecasting the options for the buccaneers um JQ, this is your jam. You threw down an awesome thread the other day that got tons of traction, rightfully so. Um, I see that follower count ascending as well in the opposite direction of Donovan Smith's value. Um, but anyway, like, there's some options for the Bucks. It's all going to come down. It seems like the whole – like, I'm hoping with Tom Brady's decision that it's made in a timely fashion, but, like, he doesn't really owe that to the Buccaneers, does he? Like, when when is a realistic time for people to expect – the Bucks to be able to take a yeah. direction. So I think he has a great relationship with the team, a uh, great relationship with, with Jason light. I think he's got a good relationship with Todd Bowles. And I think he has a fantastic relationship with the Glazers. And so because of that, I think he will give them a decision prior to free agency opening up, which will allow the Bucks to execute whatever plan, you know, they've got plan a, if he comes back and he's with them, Plan B, if he comes back and he decides, I'd like to pursue other opportunities. And plan C, if he comes back and um, – or if he decides to retire. And, and it's very important that the Bucks have a plan for each of those scenarios because 
all three of those scenarios most likely lead to much different cap ramifications. All right. Um, so I do feel confident that, that he will give them that decision in what is considered a timely fashion. Um, you know, definitely before free agency, obviously they would probably want it even before that because that would go into their, who, who they want to keep in terms of their own free agents. Um, but basically how it works out from a cap perspective, if Tom Brady comes back with the Bucks, um, they will sign him to an extension. Right? It has to be done before the new league year because um, if it doesn't happen before the new league year, then his current contract voids and they're on the hook for a little over $34.1 million, $34 million dead cap hit. But if they extend him prior to that, uh, and I'm projecting it at like a one-year $30 million deal, okay? Now, that $30 million would not apply to the 2023 cap hit. Um, what they would most likely do is give him the veteran minimum as a guaranteed salary and then give him basically a giant signing bonus for the rest. That giant signing bonus would be prorated out over five years, 2023, and then four void years, right? They would also have to carry over the current um, prorated bonus that's set to hit for 2023, which is $10.776 million. And that's a lot of math to say that the contract would come in right around $18 million, okay? Uh, cap hit for this yeah. year. So what they'd effectively be doing is taking his dead cap hit of $34 million, wiping $18 million off for this year, and they now know who their quarterback is, right? So for uh, one year, million off. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'd save $16 million. They're already over the cap by like 44 million. So there's a good chunk of that improved. Um, and they have their quarterback. Okay. So that's scenario one. I do think it's important that I note in this scenario, if he retires next year, that's a $46 million dead cap hit in 2024. Okay. It's big, right? It just keeps yeah. going up. Um, so scenario two, if uh, Brady decides to retire, what they would do, it, most likely, he's, he doesn't have to do this, but you saw Drew Brees do it with New Orleans. Most likely, Brady would do it. He would sign a placeholder contract um, before the new league year in March that would just carry to June. What that would be is a one-year league minimum deal um, unguaranteed because it's kind of a backroom handshake. Hey guys, I'm going to retire, but I'm going to help you with the cap. And so that would hold until June 2nd. Okay. And the bucks would then be able to process his, um, his retirement pay paperwork and a transaction like that. What would happen is they would be able to only have to get hit with a $10.8 million cap hit, which is the prorated, bonus that he's set to technically be hit for, for 2023, um, for this year, then the remainder of that $34.1 million would push to 2024. And so they can break up that big hit over two years. Okay. And they would want to do that for a few different reasons. Number one, this year, they are up against the cap. Number two in 2024, the salary cap goes up. So 24 million, roughly $24 million off of net off of 2024 is an easier pill to swallow than 34 million on a lower cap no, um, salary cap. So that's most likely what happens when he retires. The third option, which is probably the worst option uh, for the bucks is if Brady decides he wants to play next year, but not for the bucks. 
in that scenario, they can't wait till June 2nd because his contract would void on March uh, when the new league year starts. He's not going to sign a placeholder contract with them because he's going to want to find his new team fairly quickly so he can get his playbook, start working with his new playmakers, um, and, and just start to you know understand the new team that he plays for. So in that scenario, the whole thing hits for 2023. $34.1 million dead cap hit. It would be the second largest dead cap hit in NFL history behind Matt Ryan when the Falcons took that hit to trade him to the Colts. So those are your three scenarios. So choose wisely. Yeah. Well, well said. Thank you for laying, laying that yeah. out for us, Josh. Very impressive, man. Um, yeah. What? I saw you with the pen. I thought maybe you were trying to do the math. <laughs> no, no. I was trying to stab my eyes out. It's <laughs> the most interesting part of the game, buddy. No, it's yeah. not that at all. It's not because it's boring. It's just because I have like I'm, you know, I have ADHD and it's hard for me. The numbers thing. I, I, I'm not the Zach Galifianakis meme. That you are. <laughs> um, but so th- what I do like talking about though is speculation and like, you know, at a point this year, I had come out. I wrote an article like say, about the three most likely scenarios for Brady, and I had said at the time it was San Francisco 49ers um returning to the Buccaneers or retiring I mean since then uh, that has changed I think the I think the logistics for Tom Brady to go to to be honest I think the logistics for him at 46 years old to switch franchises and learn an an entirely new system and try and do what he did his first year in Tampa uh, is is a daunting task even for him and I think that's like it would complicate things like he's, he's settled into a little rhythm with his kids and stuff um, he would obviously need to approve the coaches and all that if he were to stay, but or, or the offensive coordinator. I don't, I, think, think, I, I don't think he has to approve the, the offensive coordinator. I think he'd be interested in it, but I don't think it's one of those things where he's getting final sign off in order to. No, to not he's not. He's for, not that guy. He's just not formally not approved, but he's yeah. He's, he's gonna, gonna like it. To, he's gonna, gonna like be okay it. with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I I get what you're saying, but I just yeah. I want to make sure this whole narrative that that Brady is this controlling person who has to sign off on everything. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not a party to it because I really yeah. don't believe that's the case. Yeah. I, think, I think the 49ers are out. I think Vegas is out just due to the, the his kids. Um, I think he has proven that he can master a playbook um, and a di- different playbook because the Arians offense with all the choice routes, with all the option routes, it's one of the most difficult out there. So if he can show, if he's shown that he can get that down in an off season, which he kind of did in 2020, I mean, he certainly ran that offense to a, at a high level that first year. Uh, and you can start, see as, yeah. as the year went yeah. on, absolutely got better. I don't think there's a playbook out there that's going to be so daunting that he's like, Oh, that, that definitely. And he's going to have to learn a new playbook with Tampa Bay. If he decides to stay. You know, based on our based on our reporting right so i don't think that that's an issue i think it comes down to is it a good good system or like a good team a good system he feels good about the culture and is he close to his kids there are really only two logical options under that maybe a third dark horse but i i, I really don't think the dark horse is tampa bay or for me it's the new york jets right because his oldest lives in new york yeah right? Uh, it's an easy flight down to Miami to uh, and lots of options in terms of those flights uh, to see the kids with Giselle. Um, it's a good team. They've got good playmakers up front. They're 
the offensive line has actually performed much better than people thought, given all the injuries they had. You get those guys back, Kai Becton and whatnot. I think New York presents an interesting option for him. Um, then the dark horse, I would say, you know, you've got some really good playmakers, decent offensive line, and a solid defense in Washington. I just don't see him going to play for Dan Snyder because that's a shit show. Yeah, no mm. chance. I, yeah, I can't imagine him going from the Glazers to Dan Snyder and being like, for, yeah, this is sweet. For what it's worth, uh, I follow uh, the Bet Online Twitter account. This is Dave Mason at, at Dave Mason BOL. This was five or six hours ago, but uh, like the odds for Brady's next team. And Vegas was the favorite at even money. The Patriots and the Niners at plus 400. I don't get the Niners one anymore. Because there's they an have embarrassment. The two of young quarterbacks yeah. that seem to be more that I mean, it's Tom Brady, right? I get it. It's it's Tom Brady, and he's from there, and it's him. And I and I'm saying, after six games of Brock Purdy, combined with the you know potential of Trey Lance or whatever, so you you wouldn't do Tom Brady. I don't know. I would say no, actually, at this point. But I obviously understand why there's some interest there, but. Um, so after the Patriots and the Niners at plus 400, there's the Dolphins at five and a half to one, and then the Jets at seven and a half to one, which the Dolphins, I mean, obviously that's a whole side story about what they do with Tua and everything. Right. But I mean, they um, publicly committed to him. Chris Greer, I, Chris Greer took a hard stance. In fact, I, I would say that's, that's why I think these odds are interesting. I, yeah. I I'm surprised that Miami would be that high on the list, but, uh, Hey, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't see San Francisco. I mean, Shanahan's basically built a quarterback proof system. Yes. Right? The, but you got to be able to move your legs in that system. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's the one, like, you know, that's a lot of boots where he is completely exposed. And that, that I think is a daunting system for, um, for Brady. Now, what I will say is Shanahan's been shown to adapt his systems for whatever quarterback he has. Yeah, so I absolutely. If he goes there, the system that they're currently running would be modified for Tom Brady and his specific type of mobility. Football well, wise, they, football wise, I still think that would be the absolute best move for Tom Brady if it was available to him. I think probably. Well, if they win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy making eight grand or whatever he's on as the uh, <laughs> Mister Irrelevant, then I don't think they're going to need to worry about it. So we'll yeah. see. What's, yeah, but- what's interesting is I really want people to stop saying Brock Purdy is the next Tom Brady. It, it's, it's, well, it's he's going to have to there. lose a game for that to stop. Right. <laughs> we, we, we can, as a football culture, say that Brock Purdy is absolutely overperforming the expectations of the last guy in the draft and say he's not playing anywhere close to a level of Tom Brady. Like yeah, those two no things shit. can both be true. And yes. yet you have things like, look at this throw. Yeah. You almost got Brandon. I, you killed. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you've seen that, that Twitter, but it was, the, I, I saw that too. Yeah. yeah it's the one on the left sideline where he literally throws, brings Ayuk back into the safety and, and almost like decapitates him. Like, but, come on. Yeah. And, and somebody was saying it was an elite throw. I was like, ask yeah. Brandon. Shanahan Shanahan got to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and not even as talented of a cast of playmakers around him too. Like I think that it yeah. needs to be considered. I'm not trying to take anything away from Brock Purdy either. Like it's he's, pretty incredible what he's done, but 
Uh, there's a lot of other factors at play, Josh. So ultimately, I'm agreeing with you. Um, yeah. To not anoint him the great one quite yet or the next right. com- coming. What, Josh, I, you're, do you want Tom Brady back? Do you think that would be good for the Bucks? Because I got to say, this fan base is divided yeah. in terms of whether oh, they yeah. want him back or not. I've been pretty clear on where I stand on that. Um, I think with a lot of the pieces they have in place and the ability, like they've already kicked a bunch of money down the line. If Tom Brady came back, I would welcome it with open arms as a Bucks fan. I don't yeah. hide the fact that I'm a Bucks fan. Right. I think the other alternatives that the realistic alternatives that exist would not be as good as, as Tom Brady on a fuck you tour next year after what happened this year. <laughs> he he, he should have won MVP last year. I, think I disagree on that. Okay. Well, you could certainly <laughs> Understand. Okay. It's definitely in the conversation, but he I, was I, neck and neck. Yeah. I think Rogers yeah. had the better season. Okay, whatever though. But he he's in that tier of performance sure. last yeah. year, and I think Bucks yeah. fans have been a little bit spoiled, and I think their memories have become a little too short, and they're forgetting the I'll years and years of torture they've been put through. And God damn it, I'm not going to be the one to give up on Tom Brady. I'm going to let him give up on us before. Like, yeah, I want him back. Uh, personally, I would I would welcome it, and I think it would um, go a long way towards, you know, just I I think this roster could be ready to rock with a bunch of changes. I think they could get the guys they need, and and part of what's giving me that confidence too, Josh. Credit back to you is for laying out how they could go about doing it. And again, if you haven't check out Josh's work on Twitter, awesome thread about players specifically. I mean, guys like Levante David. I would love to have Jamel Dean back. Um, just talking about guys who would who I think would then come back. You know, we've. They, they just signed Jensen, and I know the NFL is funny like that, and guaranteed money is always at play, so they can cut bait with guys such as Donovan Smith, uh, which yeah. we mentioned, save a bunch of money. But I know I'm talking in circles here. I'm just ultimately yeah. saying. Do you uh, want Tom Brady back or not? Yeah. I want yeah. Tom Brady back. What do you think? Out of all of the options that the Bucs have as an analyst, like if I were roster management, if I were building, I think that the most attractive would be bringing Brady back for one more year. Uh, to your point, I think they've got the core in place that would end a down NFC South, right? I think that they would be the, the favorites to win the division once again. Um, so I, I'm in favor of bringing Brady back for one more shot at it. Um, from that from that perspective and just from the perspective of it's actually him coming back is the best option for the cap. Um mm for that year, a very short term, uh, uh, high, look at it, but you know, it, it's, they've pl- super bowl windows are very small. You try and maximize them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that the bucks still have one more shot with Brady next year. So that would be the, the one that I would be pushing for if I were in Jason light and Mike Greenberg's shoes. Yeah. And like, is, did, sorry, Scott, no, um, go, go, go. does part of that, do you think your draft position is going to improve from what you have right now? Or like if Tom Brady's back, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way, or there's very low chance that you use a first round pick on a quarterback, right? Correct. Is yeah. That, is that your understanding and, as well? And I, and I also think that if he's not back picking at 19, you don't really have the assets to go up and get that next guy. Now I haven't done my draft evaluations and I, I know right now, I think there are, Four guys being bandied about, you know, as tr- in terms of potential franchise dudes. Uh, what Will Le- uh, Levy's, uh, Stroud, um, the kid Young. from uh, what's Andrew, up, 
Bryce Young from Alabama. Bryce Young and then Anthony Richardson, right? Yeah. I think yeah. those are the four. Um, and there's a good chance that all four of them aren't there at 19. For sure. And I don't know. And the light has never shown himself to be a guy who gives up future draft picks. First time he ever did it was for Zion last year, and that was late in the late in the draft. So I don't see him giving up multiple first round picks to move from 19 to eight to get the fourth best quarterback in the draft. Right yeah. now, there's a there's a chance I go through my draft process, and as the, the entire draft process unfolds, and you know, all of a sudden Anthony Richardson's being looked at like Malik Willis last year. And, you know, it falls to the third round, but I really don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think you're probably going to see all four go in the first and probably high in the first. And yeah, so there's not that opportunity to get that guy. Um, So if I'm the Bucks, you know, without Tom Brady, I'm starting Kyle Trask and I'm looking to either a catch lightning in a bottle. Maybe he turns out to be a guy nobody thought would be the guy. And he does. Okay, with this roster, you're probably in the playoffs. Again, you take that shot. Um, B, more likely scenario, he's not the dude. They struggle. Okay, now you've got your high draft pick or exactly. you're close to high draft pick where you can move up and find the next guy who, mm. or who you hope to be. Um, and I think there's very little chance that it's, again, Kyle, you know, Kyle Trask gets you to the 15th pick. I think it's going to be top 10 or he's going to move you into the playoffs. and. Mm. You know, you take that shot. Real chess, real chess. Jason Light reaching on Kyle Trask in the second round, knowing he fucking sucks because it's going to land you Caleb Williams. <laughs> yeah, right? two years the next in 23. Year. Right, yeah, he wow. made that, that choice when Caleb yeah. Williams was a senior in high school. Senior in sure. high school, he knew. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln Riley's going to take the SC job. Williams is going to follow him, right? That's, that is all part of the plan. Right. If oh. that's, that's my thing case. with this is, is just like, if Tom Brady's back, you're probably you're probably if Tom Brady's back and he has that bounce back year that we're kind of that fu year or whatever, um, you're probably even even worse spot from a roster construction. We're gonna find our next guy after Tom leaves spot. It's you're kicking the ro- the can down the road that much more. Um, and how important it is to find that rookie quarterback. It's just like I don't know. I think it. It depends what you think of this roster is, is basically what I'm getting down to. It's like mm. if is is the Super Bowl window already closed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if you do have Tom Brady next year? Uh, so my my personal opinion is no, again, because the NFC in general is not the strongest conference and the NFC South specifically is uh, you know it is is one of the weakest divisions in football. Um, so that alone means you get into the dance and when you get to the dance, you have a shot, right? Um, so from that perspective, no. And then the other thing is there is a good young core here that once Brady does hang them up or leave Tampa Bay, you can very quickly transition that core to the next window. If you find that quarterback, right? Um, you've got the good young pieces. Most of it's an old roster, but most of those, that old, those old guys are depth pieces, right? They're the Will Golston's, they're the Akeem Hicks, they're the, um, Julio Jones, you know, they're not the starting dudes. You look at most of the starters, they're young and they're, they're locked up or they can be locked up for quite a while. 
you'll need one year to reset the cap and you've got the perfect quarterback to do that in Kyle yeah. Trask. So yeah, that's why I'm all for, if it's not Brady, I'd just rather roll with Trask because you're going to totally. reset the cap and then potentially put yourself in much better draft capital to go get that dude. And there's still I, yeah, a non-zero tra- chance that Kyle Trask ends up being, you know, a top 10 quarterback. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I would push back <laughs> a little bit on the rot. I, I think the roster is good. I think this team is going to have a very hard ceiling with Bowles as the head coach. Uh, I, That's the other part of this. Yeah. Really fo- like truly following, you know, with the microscope, this team for the last five months and, and just seeing, what good coaching is in this league. And cause let's face it, there's not a lot of it. There's, you know, the really good ones do stand out. He doesn't have it, man. Like he, he does not have it. And I don't see him making many fundamental changes to his, uh, you know, to his mindset and his game plans and, and how he wants to run a football team in this off season. So I think, the, I don't think it's roster. I think it's more culture and coaching, Hopefully, it, you know, if the left which thing is true, hopefully they have a home run higher and, and bring someone in. And Bowles does at least let him do what he wants on offense. I just, I just don't see it. There was zero change, no adaptability throughout the season. And that's with tangible struggles and a bad record and just poor performances and still no changes. I was thinking about, I was, you know, thinking about the podcast today and, uh, you know, when did I really know it was bad? And I, I landed on about five or six different different games and, uh, you know, portions. <laughs> Lots to like, choose oh. from. Yeah, if I had to choose from. And, you know, remember they beat Seattle in the Germany game and everyone was going nuts. And didn't they – they scored like 24 points or something. Yeah. Like, you know – And like only like not, – not very many in that second half. No, and they still ran the ball a ton on first down, but Seattle just had a terrible, de- like had a terrible defense, right? So, I mean, like I said, there's plenty of options we had cho- chosen from that run. I think they lost at Pittsburgh and at Carolina two games in a row, and it's like, oh Jesus, like they suck. But I just, I think Bulls, I don't want to take away his credibility as a defensive coordinator, and I, I'm sorry, I like hammered this home. I think they're completely different jobs. I. I think he could be a great defensive coordinator for the next 15 years somewhere if you wanted to. It's a different skill set than being a head coach, and I don't think he's good at it. So if this roster still does have a Super Bowl window, I don't think he can be the coach. So I'll hedge that with two things, okay? Because I don't, necess- away, pal. I don't necessarily disagree with your overall framework, but the, the two things I will say, I think he's a terrible in-game decision maker, okay? Um, for me, it's the fourth down decisions and the field goal decisions, things like that. Um, I 100% agree. There have been coaches who have overcome that and still been very successful um, because the league is still fairly antiquated. You do have them prep. You do have a lot of teams and coaches starting to push that forward, which I am a huge fan of, but there's still a world where that can, a head coach can overcome that. Um, I will say to the adjustments, go back to the Cincinnati game. Okay. In Cincinnati, you had, um carlton davis pressing jamar chase you had on the offensive side of the ball in the first half and and actually really like good schematic um it was awesome their best best half of football yeah yeah yeah. it was it was fantastic the problem is and what i don't understand about bowls and just the coaching staff in general it was like kansas city in the super bowl 
Like all of a sudden they do everything different. They lean into their best stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is great. Yeah. And then it goes away. Yeah. So they have the ability to do it. It's just the the stubbornness to your point that they just like, and I don't get why do you do it just one time? Like, and why do you do it at all? Like, if you're just going to be stubborn, where does this one random island game plan come from? Yeah. What's going on here? Um, the other thing is I think he needs to be given the opportunity to choose his offensive coordinator and see what that looks like. I think he deserves a year with a staff that he chooses because this was not the staff he chose. This was the staff that was in place when he got the gig very late in the process. I think he's earned the opportunity to have that. So at the end of next year, I'm, perf- I'm expecting he'll have chosen his offense if coordinator and he will still be very stubborn and i will say at that point yeah he's ready to go but i think he's earned the year wow what a polite articulate well thought out debate on both ends there from you two gentlemen scott and capron hey. bravo bravo that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. can't even spot the canadian in that one no i know <laughs> uh, man come on capo is clearly canadian he's the, <laughs> yeah i know he's got to be some a-bombs on us oh. he's too nice yeah um okay but last that, question I, I, sorry, one thing. I just, Josh, I understand what you said, but I like how you ended it with, in this this time next year, if it's the exact same, which let's face it, if Bowles is making an offensive coordinator, yeah, then then you make it. I think you just do it. I think you just get rid of it now, but I understand what you're saying. It's like with my kids, right? I know you're going to break this rule. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you to do it, yeah, and then yeah. I'm going to punish you, but I'm not going to preemptively punish you. Yeah. Okay. Leonard Fournette. What's, what are the ramifications of cutting him loose, Josh? Is that in the Buccaneers' best interest? Because based on what he's given him on the field, it's like a no-brainer. But I'm just curious of the – and I know you probably covered this, but I, you know, like to – Yep. Um, so he's set to be an $8 million cap hit in 2023. $5 million of that it would be a dead cap hit if they released him. Um, so they would net $3 million in savings. Are you? Do you think that's worth it then? And uh, personally, in terms of for this roster, yes. is that a no-brainer? Out of the five cut candidates, um, three for me are like, yeah, they definitely need to do this. Suck up, Brait, and Fournette. Um, Brait's got Brait's got the Brait. You had me at Brait. Yeah. yeah. Smith, um, Donovan I, Smith, I think, is a conversation. I would lean towards the cut, um, and then the one that I hope they don't cut, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a discussion, and it might happen is. Um, Russell Gage. And you don't even net much in savings from Gage. It's 2.3 million. Well, then what's Glad to hear the point? he's okay, by the way. Yeah. Very much so. Um, the one thing that I'll say about Lenny as well before we uh, move on, the uh, it's not so much what you're getting from him. It's what you could be getting from Chad. Um, Opportunity is, cost. Absolutely. Yeah. I just – it's so clear. Like the, the constant comparison, I just don't understand how the coaching staff wasn't just like, well, we should probably leave 29 in. 29 is pretty good. Hey, uh, yeah, let's let's keep him in there. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, I'm expecting big things from him. Seemed like he was saying farewell to his jersey number two. So yeah, I, I guess that. I get to wait until see what jersey number he gets. And then I'll get he wants jersey. three. Oh, no. So the, the, somebody anything quote- but seven. Somebody quote tweeted he was three in Arizona State. Somebody oh, quote, okay. quote tweeted it and and said, you know, he's saying bye to twenty nine. What number do you think he'll take? And um, somebody commented three, and he liked the comment. Mm. So. so who's three? Ryan Suckup. Uh, oh, perfect. Oh, they already told him. 
<laughs> he knows suck up Scott. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think he's just saying I really want that jersey. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And hey, for any of our gambling audience, like I gotta say, uh oh, you gotta hop on Rashad White receptions <laughs> over every damn week because they keep friend of the show. Friend, yeah. Rashad White Rashad receptions over huge, huge friend of the show. Yeah. Um they kept setting it at two and a half and like you know, he would get that sometimes on a drive and he wouldn't go way above it, but it was perfect. Just enough to keep the, keep it at plus money every week and for them oh. to not budge off that number. And it was just Tasty. cash cow. Hey, cash cow. I, I'm going to plug my own because uh, if anybody was paying attention to my tweets about a week ago um, and parlayed all of my money line bets for the wild card weekend, oh, yeah. I was six for six. There we go. Wow. I saw that, Josh. Well Called done. Every single one of them. And I've in that same thread, I've called every round so far or every round from here on out. So they're they're on Twitter for you to okay. take. I've got all the way to the Super Bowl. Let's go, baby. Let's, let's take a look. Yeah, awesome. I love that. Okay, so make you know, on that note, make sure you're t- checking out Josh Capo's work for Pewter Report and on Twitter. Uh, he's the hottest follow in town these days. Um, <laughs> the rest of our Twitter handles are up there. Thank you, ladies, gentlemen whomever is listening for joining us on the Bucks banter podcast. Um, it was a tough season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And oddly enough, after they lost this playoff game to the Dallas Cowboys, I have felt relief, which is all kinds of fucked up, but I have, because it's, you know why that. it's over. No, because it's our favorite time of the year, baby. Draft. Yeah. Season. Draft we season. Back. Draft I season. I'm going to jump into my first eval tonight. Yeah, oh, we're not going go. anywhere. So uh, you can catch us every Wednesday night for the most part, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances. Please rate, review if you're listening on Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever, and subscribe on YouTube. We appreciate the support. And JQ, we appreciate you so much, dude. You've you've been Absolutely, grinding your ass. Man. So thanks for coming on and Absolutely. dropping that knowledge for us and our listeners. Appreciate you always. I yeah. enjoy being on, guys. Thanks for having me. All right.